Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how's it going? We're, we're into kind of the calm before the storm. I, I know that's something we've said <laughs> before on this podcast, but it really is just this little little lull of quiet before it seems like things are really going to take off. So how you doing? Well, it's hot out there in New Jersey, Josh. I spent all day at my son's baseball games and, you know, the last, actually this, this whole weekend. And so, yeah, I'm kind of burned up. But you know what's not hot? The trade market is still pretty cold. It's like you've got a feeling that things are happening behind the scenes, but nothing's been reported on. Rumors are kind of slow, but we're only nine days away as we record this. So you got a feeling some news is going to break soon. So I'm just sort of like, you know, just doing my thing, waiting for news to break. Yeah, I was fairly convinced we were going to have a trade yesterday. I, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't have time. Well, I don't even know if it's something you, you have plans to do, but with the, with the baseball tournament and everything, uh, I don't know if you're interested in the Barbenheimer discourse. <laughs> I'm well craze. aware, well aware of that whole thing, um, and I, you know, but no, <laughs> I will not be Barbenheiming. <laughs> well, I I took it on yesterday. It was a feat. It was five hours of sitting in a movie theater. It was they're they're both great movies. I enjoyed myself, but I was convinced that during one of the two movies we'd have some big trade, and I would have missed it. And and I know you had limited availability as well, and and. It seems like that's always how the deadline goes, is as soon as I go do something and I'm away from my phone, that's when things break. But we caught a break, and, and like you said, it's it's continued to be pretty quiet. Um, you know, it, it's not necessarily out of the ordinary. This time last year, we didn't have any huge trades yet either. Uh, but when it's looking like it might be a quieter deadline overall like there might not be as many huge earth-shattering moves there isn't really a Juan Soto move to well we'll we'll talk about a move that could be similar in magnitude but it doesn't seem as likely that we're going to have something that big and it's off to this kind of slower start it it makes me worry that it might just be a bit of a dud it's going to be fun either way but it might might be a little quieter this year It's always fun, and it always surprises you. Like, they did what? (laughs) So I'm expecting some surprises. Um, Now, what I will say is you may have noticed if you've been on our website lately um, that we have been updating our numbers more frequently than in the past. And that's because we have a more efficient process behind the scenes, and we can just do it. So we're doing it. And so um, what you'll find, though, is that a lot of cases, the numbers, the surplus value numbers are going down. And that's because of the passage of time. And so one weird effect that I noticed personally, because, you know, we're I'm still getting used to updating this more frequently, is that, oh, you would think like Shohei Otani's value is 50, but then we updated again. It was 46. And then we updated again. It was 44. And I think when we updated again, it's going to be like 42. And so like the the package you had envisioned in your mind, like what's going to take for Otani? It may still be that, but it's going down a little bit because he's getting closer and closer to free agency. And that's happening with Lucas Giolito and a few other big names that may be on the trade block. So just wanted to point that out. If you'll start, you'll start to notice that happening and you might've thought, Oh, it's, this is what it's going to take. But as we get closer to the deadline, it may not take quite as much as we thought because we're publishing our numbers on the day of, as if a trade were to happen on that particular day. So 
if it had happened two weeks ago, that number would have been higher. If it happened at the deadline, we may be a week away from it being slightly lower. Now, we know the dynamics of the trade market are different in December, and there's supply and demand factors, and we try to, you know, allow for that a little bit. But, um, but yeah, it's not quite as much as it was a couple of weeks ago because time has passed. And things like that, they – what am I trying to say here? They They really, year after year – I remain a little bit confused. Like I understand from a, I understand generally why it happens, but you'd really think that at least one team would find the advantage and the opportunity in acting early. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you have a contender that absolutely has a clear hole, and you have a very a clear seller that absolutely has some pieces they're willing to sell, and they're and they're not necessarily these elite pieces that you need to start a bidding war for. You know, I'm not saying the Padres should have traded Josh Hader a month ago. The Padres are still trying to figure out what they're doing. They're going to take it down to the wire, which makes sense for them. And in general, with a bigger name like that, it makes sense to bring it down to the wire, make sure you get the most the largest return possible by kind of putting teams against each other, hoping one of them gets desperate. But if you talk about a team like the D-backs where they've needed bullpen help all year and it's been pretty ugly in that in that bullpen and it just seems like every night Miguel Castro is having a meltdown and letting runners on and letting close games get away. It happened again today. Um, it, it's weird to me that they wouldn't have that, – that teams in that scenario don't often – jump the market a little bit and and you'd think it would be mutually beneficial you know they get the extra time out of some stability if they can find you know insert generic veteran reliever here from from a non-contending team you know some guy that's not going to set the world on fire but he'll at least give you some stability that would help that team and then for the selling team hey you're moving him while his price is a little bit higher since it only gets lower and lower and lower between now and the deadline and you figure especially for a guy like that a rental uh, older veteran rental that's not not a Josh Hader type or anything re- the price isn't going to be super high either way so it's not like the D-backs are now balking at the price because it's so much higher an extra month out you know what I'm saying it's just it's always been weird to me that the consensus across baseball seems to be we wait until the last week of July and a sp- specifically the last two days of July to get all of our work done yeah whereas especially with something like the bullpen, especially with some of these just like lower end deals that you could make. It seems like there's a lot yeah. of benefit to be had on both sides of jumping on that in June. And I'm not, I also understand that now there's some complications toward the beginning of July with the draft getting bumped into all-star yeah. week. Now that's just a hectic time and, and teams are focused on that and not really worrying about adding half a win from a, from a middling reliever. But it seems like, it seems like, I don't know why the D-backs haven't added a reliever to their roster already. I don't know why they didn't do it a month and a half ago. And I don't know why teams in that situation year after year continue to just wait until the deadline. I guess that's I mean, just me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if look, if the Royals know that Scott Barlow is available and they're taking bids and they could have gotten eight or nine for him using our numbers uh, two or three weeks ago and now he's down to six or whatever, why wouldn't you have just taken it? two weeks ago, you know, like you did with Chapman, um, you know, and a team, there's so many teams that need relievers. So I don't know, like, like how much is a bidding war going to change that value? You might go up a little bit if you wait till the deadline, but it'll go down as well because you have less time to use him. So 
you know, it's a trade-off. So why not make the deal when you can't? I totally agree with you. Um, I think there's a bit of kind of game theory going on here. Like, well, if this one offers me that and then this changes this and this changes that, you know, all of that stuff is still getting sorted out. There's a lot of what's going on behind the scenes right now. Um, it's complicated. I get that. Um, but I also agree with your point. Like some deals are simpler. Why not just make them? Right. Like I even understand it a bit with Barlow because he's shown higher peaks in the past and you figure, you know, if he has a really hot July, then maybe he doesn't dip as much in value and and they're getting a solid return for him. And he's just viewed a little bit differently as like a more reliable late inning guy, as opposed to, you know, he, he has a 489 ERA this season and the peripherals are a little bit better, but it's not quite as good as he's looked the last two years. And so if you're hoping he can kind of return to form, in the weeks leading up to the deadline that might actually boost your return a little bit. So I even understand it a bit there, but like, I don't know the Rockies with Brad hand, like why couldn't he have been moved a month ago? Mm-hmm. So I don't know that that's always going to be something I wonder. Um, but it does seem, and every year there's, there's a deal or two that kind of does jump the market. And this year it was that a Chapman deal. And it seemed like, the Rangers got a pretty decent value out of it. Um, They didn't have to give up a ton, but then on the flip side of it, the Royals, I I think I saw Cole Reagans was throwing triple digits the other day, which was interesting. So maybe, maybe there's some value there as well. And and maybe, like I said, it's, it's a scenario that can just be beneficial for both sides of the deal where the Royals got more value because there was an extra month of Chapman involved. Plus they kind of got out of a risky asset there since he's, a volatile player even even within the context of relievers always being volatile given his age and velocity and off-field issues and recent track record there's probably some extra volatility baked in there too and they were able to jump out of that risk um so it just, like i said just seems to be mutu- mutually beneficial in some of these cases and i'm surprised we don't see it more mm-hmm. all right well let's move into the couple of minor deals that we did actually see this week. Um, The more notable of the two is the Orioles acquiring right-handed pitcher Shintaro Fujinami from the A's. Uh, We had Fujinami at 1.9 million in median trade value. In exchange, the A's got left-handed reliever Easton Lucas, who we had at 0.9 million. So deal was accepted by the model. That's well within our normal margin of error. Fujinami is a pending free agent. He came over from Japan this past offseason and... The A's gave him a shot in the rotation. It was a bit of a disaster. He has a long-standing history in NPB of control issues. Actually, I'm pretty sure the last couple seasons in NPB, he was uh, bouncing up and down between their major league level and their minor league level because of those control issues. And so that's he has he has just electric stuff, triple-digit fastball, wipeout slider, wipeout splitter. But he fell to the A's on a one-year, I believe it was like $3 million deal. Yeah, just because of these overwhelming control issues. Um, But the A's gave him an opportunity in the rotation, and that's probably a decent chunk of why uh, he decided to sign there, despite how terrible that team is. (laughs) Um, And he started the season in the rotation, really didn't work out well, transitioned to the bullpen. It was getting better and better. Um, every month in the bullpen, he was looking like a solid reliever and the Orioles decided to take a chance on it. Uh, he's still a a fairly volatile player, fairly risky addition for the Orioles, but they're just looking for arms to bridge them to Yenier Cano and Felix Bautista in the back end in the late innings. 
And I think he's as good of a gamble as anyone to do that. It's some really impressive stuff. And there's some warts that come with it. And he's not going to be a guy that you just trust to throw out there every day <laughs> going down the stretch or anything. Like he's going to have his hot stretches and his cold stretches. But I think it's a smart ad for the Orioles. I like him as a fit for them. And it didn't cost them a whole lot. It cost them a like 26, 27-year-old up and down reliever who you know they can they can afford to be without they have such a deep farm system there so i think it's a really good deal for the orioles and for the a's it's just them continuing to sell off anything that isn't bolted down yeah and this is exactly what you were talking about a moment ago which is why not just make a deal like that it's simple and everyone benefits so what the heck so they did so good on the orioles for for making that uh with the a's i mean yes fujinami's numbers kind of look ugly at first glance but yes if you've been following him he's been getting better and better out of the bullpen so he's not going to be your closer overnight but you know you can you can use him and you know look everybody's bullpens are getting taxed that's one of the comments i keep seeing from from field managers around the league it's like hey, yeah my guys are gassed and so the GMs know this. So like any arm with any sort of life in it, that's you know, <laughs> that hasn't like totally worn out and it's not like, yeah, we want that arm. And this guy can throw a hundred. And now he's wild and he still has trouble finding the strike zone. But you know, there's something to work with there at least. And obviously, as you point out, you know, the Orioles effectively gave him away. Uh, I mean, uh, gave away. You know, I won't say nothing, but very small amount. A guy who's Rule Five eligible, who is maybe a at best, a, uh, a depth reliever. So, you know, and from the A's perspective, hey, they save a little money. They, don't, they had him on a $3 million salary, so he's owed like a million dollars. So he saved that million dollars and they get a depth arm. So fine, everybody's happy. Yeah, and there's an additional advantage here in the early move, and that's, you know, Fujinami, like I said, fairly volatile pitcher. He's already allowed a few runs in his first inning in two-thirds with the Orioles. I don't think it's a huge concern. I think it's small sample getting his footing with a new team, etc. But if over the course of this next week he continues to struggle, well, since you kind of jumped the market there and made the addition, well, now you have a chance to revisit that that part of your roster. I don't think either way, you know, even if he went out and threw five scoreless innings this week in in relief and just looked like he was lights out, I still think the Orioles would be looking to add another reliever or two to lengthen their bullpen. But since you jumped on him early and you, you took this chance and said, well, let's see what this looks like. If he does continue to struggle this week, then you know, okay, we absolutely do need to try and add more to this bullpen. So I think that's a hidden benefit there. It gives you some time to assess whether that move was successful. Whereas if you're just waiting until the deadline and you add one reliever and he stinks the rest of the way, then that's kind of what you're stuck with. That's you can't add anything else after that deadline. Um, one other point is obviously we look at moves like this and, and you look at Easton Lucas going the other way and yeah, very low value rule five guy roster fringe type hasn't pitched in the big leagues yet. Has some control issues of his own. Looks like a, future middle reliever at best type guy but a lot of that same stuff is exactly what we would have said about Yenier Cano at this point last year when the twins traded him to the Orioles in the Pablo Lopez deal mm -hmm. so relievers always just such a lottery ticket such a coin flip um not that I not that I trust the current A's development to get the most out of their pitchers like I might have five or ten years ago but always something to keep in mind that you know these 
just because they have low value now doesn't mean they're going to have low value a year ago or sorry excuse me a year from now um but that also doesn't you also can't hug these guys super tightly because you're afraid of something like that happening it's it's just part of the game it's part of transactions and nine times out of ten you'll trade a guy like this and he'll be exactly what you expect him to be he'll be either a quad a reliever or like an okay-ish middle reliever and you're happy with the trade and then that one time out of ten he does become something more and you go well that's just that's just business that's that's just the price of doing business yeah okay the other deal a little bit smaller the blue jays picked up left-handed reliever henesis cabrera from the cardinals we had him at negative 0.4 million he had actually just been dfa'd uh, in exchange, the Cardinals received catching prospect Sammy Hernandez, who is at 0.1, so also accepted by the model. Uh, just a little depth move here. The Cardinals clearing out a little bit of space on their 40-man, uh, offloading a reliever who has struggled the last couple months. I believe he had a fairly uh, solid start to the season, but he's looked a lot worse since then. Uh, Jays add a little bit of depth. Not a whole lot else to this one. Yeah, I think um, there were some rumors that there were some clubhouse issues with Cabrera, um, and you know he had kind of some frustrations that he would sometimes vent, and uh, in unpleasant ways. I don't know, um, but I think the manager referred to that anyway and said that he could use a you know a change of scenery. Um, that may be true, but I think even if that weren't true, he's still been kind of struggling for for a while now, and um, I think he's still got stuff, but. Just not the results, and the results, you know, tend to what ma what matter at the end of the day, you know, and that's what matters in our model. And so we had him as slightly negative. So yeah, there's not much else to say about this one. Yeah, a whole lot of clubhouse dysfunction in St. Louis this season, which is uncharacteristic for that team, for that organization. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that team a little bit later. Um, the only other significant. Uh, transaction, I suppose, was the Braves out of nowhere doing their thing. <laughs> they extended Travis Darno. Uh, it was a one-year, eight million dollar deal to cover the 2024 season, and then also an eight, an eight million dollar club option for 2025. No buyout on that one. I believe I mentioned Travis Darno. If I didn't mention him on the previous episode, I know for sure I mentioned him in my article on the Mets and Padres, and I was listing off how shallow the catching market is and that really the only solid upgrade you could really see if you're the Padres is if you can convince the Braves to move Darno but it didn't seem likely because they really like that kind of two-headed dragon they have there with with him and Sean Murphy and, and how they can rotate those guys around and get them kind of a half off day by DHing them and just it was one of the stronger it, it remains one of the stronger catching tandems in the league and now they're putting their money where their mouth is with that one and locking up Darno, keeping him there another year. Um, we have this deal is just about fair. Uh, yeah. we, his, his current surplus value factoring in this extension is negative 0.8. So it's, you can basically call it zero. You can, you can call it fair. It's, it's a little teensy bit underwater, but nothing to really get concerned about. He's continued to be a solid hitter, a, a decent defender as he ages even. And, yeah, it's it's nice for them to be able to just say we have our catching situation locked in for the next at least the remainder of this year and next year, if not the year after that, uh, between him and Murphy. So uh, they they're just yeah. keeping that strength. And we saw them even start this in the off season, right when they added Murphy. Their catching tandem already looked like a strength with Darno and Wilson Contreras. 
But they said, no, we want this to be even better. We want to upgrade the defense here pretty considerably. And so that's why they made that move for Murphy. And now it seems like it seems like it's a position they're just prioritizing and continuing to make sure is locked in for them. Yeah, it's almost a luxury, right? That they have two really good catchers and so many other teams barely can scrape, scrape by with one. And that one is oftentimes a glove first guy, not a not a bat first guy. And they've got two guys who can both catch and hit. So that's a real strength for them. Um, I also think it's smarter than Braves because if you look at Darno's playing time, it's been, you know, he's not been a primary catcher for a few years, right? And I think they see that, you know, he's 34, he's getting older. Catchers tend to kind of wear down with time and age. Um, so they're kind of managing his workload smartly. And one of the reasons they brought in Murphy, because he was like six years younger and could handle a more the workload of a primary catcher. So they got kind of a 60-40. It's not a 50-50. It's more of a 60-40, maybe even a 67-33 thing going on between Murphy and Darno. But it, it ensures that they have a quality catcher back behind the plate and at the plate, you know, 100% of the time, which I think is smarter than. In other words, they can get more out of Darno kind of you know as this sort of secondary catcher who can still hit at least for average if not slightly above and play and call a good game then they could if you know they were burning through one and a backup or whatever that that tandem really works and it's smart yeah and just looking at darno's fangraphs page he's had just a really interesting career progression he started out as that top prospect in the ra dickey deal i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. um and fairly hyped prospect for the Mets had a couple good years there, but then kind of settled in as more of a lower end starter or backup type. And I know he's had some injury issues throughout his career as well. And then 2019, he kind of played merry-go-round and he started out with the Mets and he got cut there. And then I remember he spent just a single game with the Dodgers and then got cut, get cut there. Or I think he got traded right away actually. Um, after just a game with the Dodgers and went to the Rays and had a pretty good rest of the season there. And now it seems like he's found like a second surgence with the, uh, <laughs> with, with the Braves. And it seems like that's a place where he really likes a place that a lot of guys really like judging by all the extensions they've been able to lock up in recent years. And so he's just another one of their guys. It seems like they have, they have a good culture going over there. They're good at identifying players that work for their system and, taking hold of them and making sure they don't go anywhere else once they're they're in Atlanta. And he's just another piece of that puzzle. Yep. Okay. Um, one notable injury from these past couple weeks that could be pretty important for the trade deadline, Shane Bieber. He's on the 15-day injured list, uh, shut down from throwing for at least two weeks. It's an elbow. They're calling it elbow inflammation. Always concerning, and especially we've talked – Many times, honestly, it feels like we've been talking about this for like two years now, about just how much he's dipped since his his peak. You know, his peak 2020, he won like the, the pitching triple crown in that shortened season. He was the Cy Young winner and really just across the board, everything looked great. From there, though, he was starting to get banged up, his velo started to dip, his strikeouts have been dipping, and it's been a pretty consistent decline, and we keep saying, okay, when's when's the rug going to get pulled out from under us? When's he going to actually fall apart here? He keeps putting together these effective and productive seasons, but everything looks like it's trending in the wrong direction. And you wonder if this injury is the start of that. Um, he was one of the more obvious you know, frontline, quote-unquote, frontline starting pitcher trade candidates. 
since it is a weaker market this year, there's no clear Renta-Ace that's sitting out there. The best you're really going to get is a, a Marcus Stroman or a Lucas Giolito or an Eduardo Rodriguez. And so Bieber seemed like the kind of controllable, you know, additional year of control, has an ace upside. He's the, he's the more expensive alternative to some of those rental arms. Uh, but if he's hurt and with the way his production has declined in recent years, I already had my own concerns about whether he would be a worthwhile addition for a team, given the type of prospects they'd have to give up for him. Now that he is like currently hurt and it's not just speculation of, hmm, his fastball is down. Maybe there's something going on with his arm. But now that we have confirmation that he isn't feeling 100% and it's it's elbow inflammation always concerning, um, I, I think he's just, I, I don't know if anybody would have the confidence to trade for him right now. I, I, I don't know if he's tradable at this point. What do you think about this whole situation? Uh, no, I mean, I think that elbow injury is scary and they've been kind of cagey about it. And they're like, okay, let's take some time, shut him down. But quite often when that happens... You know, they shut him down, and then they come back, and then it still hurts. And then it's like, okay, now he needs Tommy John. So everyone knows that pattern. And basically, just kicking the can down the road, which makes his trade value even worse because you're not getting anything out of him now, and he probably won't later either, which is why his 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 value has is cratered on our site. He's down to single digits. So it's unfortunate because he was started the year. I think he was in the 30s and then 20s, and then with all the with the injury stuff, it's it's down to single digits. So. Yeah, I mean, the only bright side is if they're – I mean, look, everything is probabilistic, right? So there's a chance maybe shutting him down can fix whatever the issue is, and then he comes back. And then maybe that was the cause of his underperformance, and he comes back, and he's good. But that's a lot of ifs, and really anybody with common sense is like, yeah, no, that's too scary. I'm not going to give up that much for that, which is why he's in single digits. So that's fair territory. So – I don't see any other way around it. And I mean, if you're the Guardians, this is really the only way you can play it, right? Where if if you, I mean, obviously not a doctor, don't have a look at the medicals. The actual doctors say that he won't need surgery right now. So it, it's not like they could have forced him to just go under the knife anyway. But if he did have Tommy John today... That would put him out for the next 12 months at least, and then it's going to take him some time to get back to form. And so he only has a year and a half of team control remaining. So if he went under the knife today or in the next few weeks, in the next month, whatever, that's basically the end of Cleveland's contract control over Bieber. It, it, he's, he's maybe coming back for September, October of next season, and that's a huge maybe. And so as far as a trade value perspective, there's nothing there. And... As far as performance for your team and hoping he can help you get to October, it's a huge maybe. So this is really the best they can do is just give him a couple weeks to take a break. Hope he comes back and isn't barking at him anymore and he can get back to that Bieber or at least something like it. And then they can either consider trading him in the offseason or roll with him next year and, and see what happens. But it's just pretty unfortunate timing on this. Um and I guess I guess it's a little bit on the Guardians. Maybe they could have jumped out in front of this and, and moved him in the offseason or last deadline or whenever. But on the flip side of that, every team in baseball can see the same Fangraphs page I'm looking at and probably a thousand metrics more advanced than the ones I'm looking at and can see what this decline is looking like. And I'm sure plenty of other teams had their own concerns well before we even got to this season and the continued below decline and 
the continued strikeout decline and now this injury. So they weren't going to pull a fast one over anyone anyway. It's just a matter of risk aversion and, and maybe they could have gotten out in front of this a little bit better. But I think at the end of the day, it's just poor timing. Yeah, I think it's just bad luck. I mean, they've been pretty good about getting out ahead of things in the past with trade candidates. You could argue maybe they should have sold Plesak high before they had to DFA him and nobody wanted him. And you could have argued that they could have sold Bieber high earlier. But look, they've done plenty of that in the past. And so kudos to them. And they know what they're doing. Um, And I think it's just bad luck. And at this point, you might as well just hold on to him. If you're not going to get much in return, you might as well hope for the best. So I see what you got next year. I do want to take this opportunity to talk about the Guardians really quick. We don't need to get too in-depth on them right now, but the kind of natural next name that you look at there with, you know, like you said, Plesak has been bad. He was DFA'd. We, we even talked about like, oh, someone will probably trade for him, but nobody did. Nobody claimed him. Nobody traded for him. He's just back in, in AAA for them now. So he's not really on the radar as a trade candidate or anything. There's been a little bit of buzz here and there about Cal Quantrill, but he's on the injured list with shoulder inflammation. Not good. I don't think anyone's touching that right now. So the kind of next name up for them as a team that's always cycling pitchers through and always willing to make a deal kind of regardless of how competitive they are. Uh, But the next name there is Aaron Savali, and he's starting to come up a little bit in some trade rumors and and some, some fans tweeting about it and some proposals on the site. He has a 2.71 ERA this year. He's pitching fairly well. It's, it's not entirely supported by the metrics. He's not a big strikeout guy. Never has been, but he's a quality arm. He's a quality back end starter, and he's got some team control with him. Um, what do you think they they do with him? Do you think he's a guy they could look to move right now, or do you think you know they're kind of on the fringes of contention right now? And we've talked about how many good prospects they have, and that they need to start consolidating and getting some big league hitters. Um, do you think Savali's a guy they flip to try to do that, or do you think they hang on to him for now? I I'd be surprised if they traded him because um, you know, with the Bieber injury, they've actually, you know, and, and Espino's injured and they're fairly young beyond this. Mackenzie's been injured, you know, like it's been spotty. So I feel like he's like the one arm you can count on, and they haven't given up on the playoffs yet. Their GM just said today that they're looking for another bat. And so I don't feel like they're throwing in the towel just yet um the twins are probably gonna win the central it's gonna be a long shot for the guardians to make the the wild card but they're not out of it and i feel like eh, it just wouldn't it wouldn't i don't know i think if you you traded savali you're what are you left with on in in the pitching staff you're left with a bunch of rookies basically and i don't i don't know you gotta hold you get, somebody's gotta hold the fort right and right now it's savali's job to do that and he's doing just fine at it so yeah, I don't think so. It's also kind of interesting. They've somehow, without making a big move, they've kind of skirted this 40-man issue that we've been talking about for the past few years. Part of it was they got really lucky with uh, the 2021-22 to offseason. With the lockout, they canceled the Rule 5 draft, and that was really the start of their roster crunch where they could have potentially lost a few players in that rule five draft. Cause they just didn't have enough 40 man space for everyone. Uh, but they were able to manage things this past time. And I, I don't think they actually did lose anyone in this past rule five draft, maybe one or two guys, but, but not, not nothing too impactful and glancing at their roster resource page right now, the only guy they really need to add, their only like notable prospect 
of theirs that's coming up soon, it looks like, is Daniel Espino. And you can always make a spot on your 40-man, for, especially for a guy with his kind of talent. So they don't necessarily, you know, they have a handful of, of infielders in high A that say that they're going to be Rule 5 eligible this offseason, but none of them really have prospect rankings or, or pedigree or anything that suggests that they need to be protected. And this is just a, a quick glance at the system. I'm sure there's a name or two in here that should be protected as well, you know, a, a pop-up reliever or something like that. But for the most part, it seems like they've dodged what we thought was going to be a pretty big logjam on the 40-man. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're good at that, right? Um, and they always have that pipeline of pitchers. They've got a, a surplus of infielders. I think if they do make a deal, it'll probably be, you know, reducing that surplus of young infielders somehow um, for an outfielder, which is I know has been their sort of constant, you know, search for years now. Um, they've tried a bunch of different guys there, Mercado and Oscar Gonzalez and a few other things, and still not quite nailing it, you know, and Miles Straw not hitting, not, not a surprise necessarily, but anyway, they need more offense. They need another bat. And uh, so I, I could see them dealing from a position of strength and surplus. I, I, I just feel like it's the wrong time to be dealing from their, their starting pitching though. I just feel like that's a little shaky right now. I think the one interesting, and this, this is speculation, the one potentially interesting fit would be with the Cardinals. Savali feels like, a Cardinals type of pitcher. I know they've, they've had some recent comments that suggest that they they know that they've been getting by with these ground ball pitch to contact guys, and that's not the way the game is moving. And, and I think the Cardinals are aware of that and are, want to switch to more, get with the times, get the power pitchers, find some more st- sustainable success in their rotation than trying to piece it together every year with the Miles Michaelises of the world and Steven Matzes and, and all of them. But Savali does kind of fit that mold that they have targeted in previous years and they have an outfield surplus. So you wonder if they can maybe line something up there. But I think generally I do agree with you that you can't just let, or you can, but they're not likely since they are kind of still in the thick of this. They're only three games back of the twins right now. I don't think it's a great roster, but they do have a solid chance of making the playoffs with it. So I don't think you want to leave the kids out there all on their own and you know, I'm sure plenty of them are hitting innings pitched maximums and thresholds that they hadn't cleared before. Um, I, I think you want some sense of stability in that rotation, at least while you have three pretty big question marks on the injured list in Bieber, Quantrill, and Tristan McKenzie. So, yeah, I think Savali is pretty important to them right now. And if they want to look to move in the offseason when things are a bit more stable, they can. But for now, I think he's important. Yeah, I agree. Okay, um, let's move on to the Angels. I know we've touched on them a bit here and there, but uh, the latest report is that the Angels will consider Shohei Otani trade offers, but that deal is still seeming unlikely. This is more of the kind of wishy-washy that we've been talking about and that we've expected to hear from them of like, well, we might move them, we might not. I don't know. We'd we'd have to listen to offers at least. Um, I'd say if you want Otani to be traded, the... Likelihood has probably decreased in the last week. They've played decent baseball. They, I believe, swept the Yankees and just won two out of three against the Pirates. So uh, they're back over 500. Um, Still not the greatest playoff odds right now. Fangraphs has them at 12.2%. But I think as long as you have kind of a chance, you got to hang on to him, especially with all of the other considerations there. 
Um, I, I, I just can't even imagine how much attendance would dip and, <laughs> and morale would yeah. dip with that team for the rest. Like if, if he's traded and Trout's still on the injured list, what reason does anyone have to go watch an Angels game? You, you're going to go out and see Griffin Canning? He's your he's your draw? I don't know. Yeah. Mickey Moniak, I mean... see how, how much of a superstar he's blossoming into somehow? Well, he's, uh, he is doing well. I got to give him yeah. for that. Yeah. But, um, but you're right. The larger point is right. Like, they would have no star attraction until Trout comes back and – He's now kind of in his decline phase and getting injured more and more. So even him is not guaranteed you'd see him. So what do they got? Yeah. and But that's going to be true next year, assuming, you know, or as I suspect, Otani will be on a different team next year. So you're, you know, what's the difference, a cynical person might say, between next year and this year? So we're going to lose him anyway. Um But yeah, I mean, with him, and especially if you've got a slight chance of the Bennett race, you're at least the crowds are still going to come and you're still going to get, you know, the benefit of the buzz at least, you know, cause he's having a good year and he might break a record or two here and there. So yeah, there's a part of like baseball purism is like, why would you mess that up? You know, um, speaking totally from a business standpoint, like if you held on to him, you could QO him and you'd get a draft pick. Now draft picks, uh, depends on the draft and everything, but generally speaking, you're gonna, that's like about a three or $4 million draft pick value, so in our system. So that's nothing, but it, it, I mean, it's not nothing, but it's better than nothing, nothing. And if you add that to the crowds and whatever else benefit you get from Otani in the last two months of the year, you know, it's, I guess you can make a case that you can still holding on to him get some benefit. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I've been waffling. I've been. I, I, I've mentioned this every time we bring him up about how I just keep going back and forth on it. You know, earlier this past week, I thought like, okay, yeah, they're gonna trade him. It's gonna happen. I should prepare for this. But then now, looking at it again and and thinking about it more, it's like, gosh, how could they? And and not even just from the Angels side of it is how could any team justify it to themselves? Like. His his value is in that 42-44 range right now. I, I don't have it pulled up, but it's it's right up there, which, as we've mentioned multiple times, is a record for a rental. He's the most valuable rental player we've ever seen because he's a star player on both sides of the ball, and most rentals aren't good at both pitching and hitting. Um, And with that, though, like, yes, that value is solid, and, and I feel good about it, but that doesn't mean that I think any team is going to feel great about giving up that much for just two months of a guy. It's such a gamble. And yes, it's a gamble that comes with like, you're injecting your team with three or four wins down the stretch and addressing two potential positions of need. Like that's, that doesn't come up very often. That's, that's never, there's never been an opportunity to do that like this one at the deadline. And especially if you're a team like the Rays who have gotten some buzz with Otani, like, you're probably not going to have a chance to sign him as a free agent unless your ownership just decides to make the biggest exception in franchise history. Um, so this might be your only chance to get an injection like that. And, you know, if you have a deeper farm system and all of that, then then maybe you can talk yourself into it a bit. But at the end of the day, it's still quite a bit of future of, of value that could benefit the future of your organization for the next five to six years, depending on the types of guy you're giving up. 
it's quite a bit of value you're giving up and putting into just this season, just these two months. And it's basically saying that, you know, World Series are bust for us this year. And I don't think there's a team right now that has those incentives lined up. I think if the Mets were playing better, if the Padres were playing better, I think those two teams would be the teams that say, screw it, World Series or bust. We're pushing in all our chips for this guy. But since they've been so terrible this year and they're not really in a position where Otani makes them the World Series favorite, I don't think there is a team that's in that, like, we got to win the World Series this year and this is how we're going to do it. I don't think there's a team that has that right now. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. I think I think a lot of teams are are run rationally with, you know, smart people at the helm. And they understand the laws of probability. They understand that their odds of winning the World Series, even in the best case scenario, you know, are not that high. And so is it worth giving up? A truckload of talent for odds that are not that high and that's the big question and you know that's kind of the flip side of when like the 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 rays they're you know have they have 11.4 percent chance of winning the world series braves have 23 percent you know dodgers 14 percent you know that's not that high um and so is it worth that um and a lot of that's what that's the big question on in addition to his availability that's the big question on like would I overpay for that for that that one probability or because they're all trying to build sustainable teams like well we could win it this year or we could win it next year or the year after and they know at some point you got to go for it if you're in it uh, I'm not saying that they won't but there's a limit to what you will pay to go for that given the realistic odds and and they all know that and so I think that offsets things. And then there's the time factor, which we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, and, you know, there's also the factor that there's just not that many teams who can, A, afford his salary, which if you, you know, because he's going to still be owed $10 million in salary at the deadline, about one-third mark of the season, which make it $30 million. And so a lot of teams are right up against the luxury tax deadline, and that's going to uh, limit, and that's going to put them over, which means additional penalties possible reduction or or at least um you might slip in the draft pick so it's, there's additional penalties that make that even more costly than it might first appear for especially for some contenders that are on tight budgets and then add to that the fact that you're going to have to give up prospects and not that many teams have you know the types of prospects that the angels would want and you've got kind of a stalemate scenario often you know there's not that many bidders in a way that can do all that and still satisfy the angels. So that's another sort of thing that I don't think is getting talked about as much as it should be. Yeah. And it's also just like weird coincidence of how kind of the divisions have played out across baseball, where you look at the teams that have exceeded our expectations, outperformed our expectations. And it's, it's across the board. It's teams that tend to hang on to their talents and, don't make they're more conservative they don't make these huge aggressive moves it's the orioles and the rays and the d-backs where i wouldn't expect i mean the rays are kind of the wild card there but the other teams they've been like you said they've been building these sustainable models these sustainable systems they're not going to mortgage that just for these two months on the flip side of that the teams who tend to be more aggressive who tend to make the bigger moves they've been disappointing this year you know the yankees the dodgers the Mets, the Padres, those guys, they're not in a position to 
push right. chips in for this year because of how disappointing they've been. It's they're not, you know, they're they're all on the outside looking in of playoff spots right now, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe they're sitting in a wild card spot and just holding a, a fringe hold on it. That's not the spot you're in if you're pushing in the type of prospects that it'll take for two months of Otani. I guess within that discussion, though, I guess kind of the outlier to me would be the Rangers. They're a team who has been aggressive in the past, does have the prospect capital to make it happen, and are in that spot in the competitive window that it could make sense. But the issue there, well, there's a couple issues there. The first one being it's in the Angels division and that, you know, sometimes that that gets overplayed, I think. But in this case, I think it could matter. I think Artie Moreno could have some issues with sending him to play for the division rival. I think the Rangers could have some concerns with sending this young talent within the division. Mm -hmm. And their farm just doesn't line up cleanly. It's not the way you want you would want to to kind of orchestrate a deal here. It's a little bit top heavy. Like they have they have a good farm, but they're kind of missing that middle chunk. You know, they've got a couple of stars at the top. You're Evan Carter's where you're, I don't think you want to trade him for Otani. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a big gap. And then you get into the guys who are kind of like the back end of a top 100. And you just don't have those middle guys that you would expect to be headlining an Otani trade. So, and that's something you can work around. You can pair together a few guys if they want more of a quantity over quality you can include a young big leaguer like an ezekiel duran type but i think there's enough working against it to to still make it pretty unlikely for them and if that's that's kind of the only team that really fits the competitive window argument and the incentive to make a big move but they have all these other question marks surrounding it um i don't know i think it's it's yeah I'm still leaning against a deal happening here. Yeah, and I still think the Rays are probably in the driver's seat just because they have so much prospect capital and it wouldn't make that much of a dent. Uh, it's not their style, though, to take on $10 million in salary and give up prospects. Uh, it's definitely not their style to overpay. Um, so I don't see them going crazy and getting into a bidding war with anybody, and I don't sense that there would be a bidding war, so maybe if it was a fair deal, they would consider it. I think the Rangers, excuse me, are interested. You know, they have um, shown signs that they're going to be bold. You know, they signed Degrom, and they basically signed a whole bunch of pitchers, and so they went for it this year, and it's paying off. Sometimes that doesn't work, but it's working for them. And so, uh, will they continue that sense of boldness and bid if he's available? Yeah, they probably would. Um, could they put together a quantity over quality trade, and would that satisfy the Angels? That's the big question. But, you know, I could kind of squint and see them offering like Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker and a few other sort of middling prospects. You know, there's some name value there. So like from from an optic standpoint, the Angels and Artie Marina could say, yeah, look, we got, you know, these former number one picks and that's a good return, right? Even though they're actually disappointing and injured and so on. Um, so like you can kind of spin it that way a little bit and still say, mm, yeah, that's a good return um, when it's really just a fair return. So I wouldn't be totally shocked if something like that happened but i do still think the odds of that happening are lower than than average yeah and i think the part to consider with the rays is that we've gotten the sense the last couple years that they are kind of lurking they're kind of itching to make that big move you know they were kind of out of nowhere in the freddie freeman sweepstakes and wasn't there another i don't know if it was a trade or another free agent that they were they were lurking on um, I think they, I think they poked their head in on Sean Murphy. I think 
they might have been involved with Matt Olson as well. Um, were, were they in the, the Scherzer-Turner talks, or am I making that up? I'm not sure. Um, uh, don't remember that, but I could but be wrong. They've, they've, at least the Freeman one, and I know they were involved on Murphy, so they've been kind of itching to make a bigger move, and mm-hmm. we did see them make a big financial move that was a bit unprecedented for them with, with extending Wander Franco. Mm-hmm. So you wonder if there is either a sense of urgency in the front office or they see the same thing we see that like, Hey, we've got this great deep farm system and we're not going to have a place to put all these guys. We need to start pushing chips in through the current window. We can still, you know, continue to continue with our, our long-term approach of making sure we're not selling everything and making sure we have a solid team here five years from now. But we can maybe be a little bit more aggressive now than we have been in the past and, go for it when we're ready to go for it. So yeah, I wonder if I think they are among the leaders, the industry leaders, if a deal is to happen, I just like, like I keep saying, there's just enough factors to go against it. And there's so many factors at play with this deal that it makes it seem less likely. And as I say that I'm like having war flashbacks to saying the same thing about Soto last year. So what do I know? Yeah. I mean, there was one report um, that said, "Oh yeah, well they are listening to offers, and the 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 expectation is that they would be looking for multiple top 100 prospects." Now, first of all, consider the source. I think it was Morosi who tends to get a little overexcited, um, you know, especially this time of year. Um, so there's that. Um, so and then also consider multiple top 100 prospects could be like back end top 100 prospects, which could be in like the 15-ish range in our so you put those three of them together you got 45 so it's sort of in the in the ballpark reality and they're also sort of negotiating factor they tend to not negotiate trades in public especially the Rays. but um uh, but the you know i doubt the angels would be either especially with a chip like this and so the, you know that's the first ask and then the negotiations would sort of whittle down to you know best offer right so um but look, getting back to the Rays, you know, they've got multiple infield prospects, right? So Franco was blocking a shortstop like Basabi, and if you think Carson Williams will stick it short, maybe, you know, so there's there's a couple right there who could easily get the deal done. Uh, and, and you know, they've got two first base prospects in Caminero and Manzardo, so maybe they can move Manzardo and not really miss a beat, you know? So there's a, there's a bunch of ways they could go. The Rays are so deep, and they've got enough capital there that I think they could you know, get rid of, get a, you know, get some guys on the table that wouldn't really cost them much in terms of the overall dent to their farm and uh, and make it happen. I wouldn't be surprised a little bit. I hear what you're saying about like they're sniffing around with boldness. I get that sense as well. And also consider the fact that they off, they, they started off really hot um, first part of the season and then, and then they cooled off. So, which is usually a sign like, okay, how can we inject some, some new energy into this last push of the season? So I think they may be thinking along those lines as well. And we talked about their issues issues on the pitching side and how they don't have the depth that they used to. Well, there's a pitcher for you. <laughs> um, exactly. They, the media in general, and you touched on it a bit with, with Morosi and getting a little excited about it. In, in general, they've been getting a little bit too excited with some of this stuff. Um, and I, I totally agree with all your points about, you know, what, what is multiple top 100 prospects actually mean like people like to throw that around and it's it's been a thing for years this is nothing new but people throw that around but it doesn't mean anything multiple top 100 guys you know maybe they're asking for multiple 
for like a guy in the top 10 and two guys in the 50 to 75 range and they're just asking the moon or multiple top 100 guys could mean they're asking for three guys in the back end of the top 100 or whatever it's it just it has so many different things top 100 you know it's a round number but the guys are ranked within the 100 the way they are for a reason because the guys at the very top are very very valuable and you get less and less valuable as you go down the list and there's kind of tiers to it all and so that kind of verbiage doesn't really mean a whole lot and it leads to things like Jim Bowden where he he had an article in the Athletic last week suggesting some trade packages for Otani predictably it was kind of a disaster um I don't I don't think we want to go through every last bit in here but it's it's very much the whole like okay I'm gonna pull up this team's farm system on MLB pipeline and say like oh I'll grab a pitcher and a hitter and uh, they'll include this young big leaguer as well and add a couple more guys and that should be good like that that seems like it's always his approach to these and it's maybe even more obvious than usual in this one yeah right you know for the Rays. He has them packaging, for example, Caminero or Curtis Mead, which you did mention. You mentioned Caminero. I don't think you mentioned Mead, but he's also a guy who could be on the table there, I suppose. Um, but Caminero we have is much more valuable than Otani. We have him at 56.6. Mead at 32.4 is like, okay, that's a, a solid headliner, and you're not getting a ton after that. Um, but then he says a first baseman like Kyle Manzardo, a speedy second baseman like Vidal Brujan, and any number of intriguing <laughs> minor league pitchers, they also might be willing to add a major league player like Josh Lowe. Josh Lowe has been really, really good for them this year. He's at 36.4. And so if you're if you're saying that it's Meade and Lowe and Manzardo, then we're up to like 80 million, 90 million <laughs> in trade value on this. And that's, that's, yeah. that's there, there's a lot yeah. of... And then that's just one example, you know, like I said, I could go through this whole thing. There's a weird bit on the Dodgers where he's, <laughs> he says this sentence, writes the sentence, the Angels don't need a catcher because they have Logan Ohapi, who is working his way back from shoulder surgery, but just based on their respective value, would have to insist on either Diego Cartaya or Dalton Rushing, both top catching prospects, being included in the trade. And so it's, you know, th- there's there's a bit of an argument there of like, you just take the best value you can get and sort it out later but it's just a weird it's a weird way to put it of being like and it would be a weird way for the angels to sell it too right of they've just seen this awesome debut from logan ohapi and cut short due to injury but he's going to be the catcher of the future and that's kind of what they're selling their fans but also they're going to trade otani for another catcher like that that, uh, (laughs) i don't think that's going to fly there the Mariners, he said, some combination of two of Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Bryce Miller, Brian Wu, and Emerson Hancock. Those five names are not even remotely equivalent to each other. <laughs> no. Like, what? He does that a lot, right? Like, As if they're all the same. <laughs> you've got two of the very best young pitchers in baseball, established major league aces, two of the most valuable young pitchers in baseball and Gilbert and Kirby. And then you're going to go all the way down to Emerson Cancock, who's been like a very up and down pitching prospect, hasn't debuted yet. You know, they've had some pitching needs and haven't even turned to him yet. And then he's also throwing in Jonathan Classe and Cole Young and Gabriel Gonzalez, who's like a, <laughs> a breakout prospect right now. And it's like, Mike, where are we getting all this from? What? Uh, and I think I'm continuing to scroll through this. I think the most egregious is that he suggests the Giants would have to start with Kyle Harrison and Carson Weisenhunt, Marco Luciano, 
Luis Matos and Grant McRae. That's literally their top five prospects on MLB Pipeline. Mm-hmm. I haven't looked on on Fangraphs or um, or Baseball America or any other sources there, but just that's kind of what suggests that maybe he maybe he is just opening up MLB Pipeline and going that one, that one, that one, that one, and that one. <laughs> um, which which Robbie Hyde suggested on YouTube. I'll go ahead and link to that video. He he went in depth on each of these proposals and and put them into the simulator and just showed how far off they each are. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just, and I mean, this is Jim Bowden. We're very familiar with this. We, we did a whole analysis of it like a year or two ago of just how often he's wrong and how far off he is on, on these trade proposals that he does all the time. And it's, you know, the whole, there's a reason he's not in the front office anymore type of a thing. But speaking at large, there's a, there's a general, the media is having a tough time with Otani and I, I don't blame them too much because he is the unicorn and he is so difficult to judge and there's so much going on here, but there's also a little website that could really help them out and it's called (laughs) baseballtradevalues.com and and we try to put it all out there and make it as clear as possible and show our work on this type of stuff and it's it's pretty simple, you know, He's he's a rental, there's only two months of him, he's really good at hitting. He's not having his um, his best pitching season, but he's still a pretty good pitcher and and a, an upgrade to any rotation you can add him to. And he's owed ten million dollars down the stretch, and so all of this comes together to put him where he is. Yeah. And instead, articles like this treat him like he's two and a half years of Juan Soto, and that's that's what he's going to be worth, and that's just not what we're looking at here. Yeah, and also, you know. Everyone loves to play the parlor game at the end of the, the season of like, oh, what's that guy going to get in contract? And so then they all, you know, spout out numbers. And you know, I have to remind people those are connected to this, right? This is not fantasy. This is not fiction. You know, so if you just played this little game of like, what's Otani worth as a pitcher for one year of him? Pretend it's the preseason of 2023, and you've got one year left of Otani. So everybody, back of the envelope, total simple math here. Um, let's say I'm going to throw it out there. Let's say he's worth 50 million as a pitcher. Um, that's higher than Verlander and Scherzer got ever, right? Let's say he's worth 40 million as a DH. A DH has never gotten that much money. They're typically in the 20s at best, if you think about JD Martinez's peak contract. But let's just say for the moment that he's worth 90 million dollars, which is already a stretch, right, for one year. Um, and now he's getting 30. So at the at the beginning of the season, the surplus between 90 and 30 is 60. Now, if you said, okay, you've got a year, you've got you're we're at the, at the point of the deadline. There's only a third of the season left. So if that were exactly the same, he'd be worth thirty, and he's been make, and he's, and he's only going to be owed ten, which gives him a surplus value of twenty. Now we're giving him a lot of benefit of the doubt here for being a superstar. We have him at about forty, but just to paint a realistic picture here, if my numbers are correct, you know, there's, you know, it's not crazy, people. It, it, it you shouldn't overpay for him. And the math doesn't check. And then if further, if you think he was worth $90 million per year and you put out all these crazy numbers about what he's going to get as a free agent, you got to – all this stuff has to line up. You can't be winging it. And everybody's winging it out there, it seems like. Just kind of let's, – let's get, let's get real here and let's get some common sense. Yeah, and, and to be clear, we're not just bumping him – and you did – make it very clear that that was just like back of the envelope yeah, type math. Yeah, we're not bumping yeah. him up from 20 to 40 just because he looks cool and does this cool unique thing it's 
it's, it's the superstar bonus yeah. where yeah. where players who are that good are priced a little higher. You know, there's a bit of a bell curve to it. It's the October bonus where if you're right. getting Otani, it's because you are going to play in the playoffs and you don't have to pay him salary for that month. And mm-hmm. he's he could be a true impact. I mean, he's obviously a true impact guy in the regular season, but he could be even even more incredible yeah. in October. And so so there's factors like that. And then there's all of the other considerations with Otani that are unique to him. You know, there's the argument of whether he provides value to the roster by being two guys in one roster spot. The Angels haven't really used him well enough to get that value, but you could argue another team could. Or not not that they haven't used him well enough, but they haven't built the roster well enough to take advantage of that extra roster spot. Um, and, and then there's the all of the off-field endorsements and sponsorships and, and viewership and, and all of that marketing impact that you get from Otani that is pretty unique to him. And, you know, if, if this was a two-month trade for Manny Machado back when the Dodgers did it, you don't necessarily need to factor that kind of thing in because he's a star player, but he's not the cultural impact that Shohei Otani is. So there's considerations there as well. So there's there's plenty of other like legitimate factors that do boost him up from just like a here's what he's going to be, here's how many wins above replacement he's going to produce versus how much money he's going to make. There's so much else that goes into it. But even after accounting for all of that, this is where we are. And it's it's impressive that it is this high because it is a, a two months of a rental. Like, you know, it's it's $40 million in, in prospect capital. Like, one one idea that's gotten thrown around a little bit is tying him to Rendon's contract and a whole lot of reasons that's not a great idea either from you know a, a strategic standpoint for the angels of like if you're trading him it's so you can kind of jump start your roster if you're trading him what are you going to do with that money that you're saving from Rendon are you going to spend it on a player as good as Otani no are you going to spend it allocate it to players to actually build a contender probably not you need a lot more money than just the 35 million that Ota- that uh, rendon makes every year to make that happen so there's that end of it but also just from how the values line up what you're saying if you're saying hey could i trade rendon and otani together for basically nothing or for a prospect or whatever what you're saying is i think two months of shohei otani is worth the 10 million that he's making plus the hundred million that Anthony Rendon is underwater plus a prospect, which is ludicrous. You know, <laughs> if, if the angels were forced to release Otani today and he hit a free, he was a free agent, total mercenary will go play for whatever team for the last two months of the season to, to make that playoff push. I think the bidding would get crazy and you'd see some team do something really ridiculous. I don't think you'd see them sign him for 110 120 million dollars just for these remaining two months that's absurd and that's what you're saying if you're saying that you think you can tie him to rendon i i think maybe the only other just in defense of those people who think that and i don't uh the only other thought is maybe steve cohen and the mets would pay it because money doesn't matter to him so he'd throw out the value calculation and say okay if i have to take rendon's contract i can afford that and it gets me too much of a time now the problem is that the mets aren't looking like contenders this year. So throw that out the window. So maybe say the Yankees 
Okay, they've been big spenders in the past, but they're right up against the luxury deadline. Hal Steinbrenner is not his father, and he doesn't do deals like that. So it's probably not. And they've got already a whole bunch of dead weight on their roster, and everybody knows that and sees that. So that's the last thing they want to do is take on yet another underwater contract. So no. Uh, the Padres are up against it, so no. The Dodgers don't do deals like that. They hate underwater contracts if you look at them. Um, so no. So who's going to take that deal? Uh, the Giants, um, you know, but they're not paying the Giants. Farhan Zaidi is no idiot, so he's smart. He's not gonna, he might pay a little bit more in salary because he's got an owner who has some bucks, but it's not going to be a ridiculous one like that. So, no, yeah. And generally speaking, I think there's another timeline where one of the Dodgers, Padres, or Mets is 10 games better, better, you know, has 10 more wins than they, they currently do. And in that scenario, I think that they are full speed ahead to push in whatever, it, not not whatever it takes, but to, to make an aggressive deal for Otani here. Whether that is Cohen taking on a chunk of Rendon's contract and still sending a prospect and it's, you know, a lopsided deal, but it's Cohen just going for it and the money doesn't mean the same to him as it does to other teams. Or if it's the Dodgers overpaying on the prospect side because... It's, you know, it's an L.A. to L.A. deal, and Moreno is, you've talked about it before, the, the like, Dodgers envy that he has, and, you know, he's going to charge them more than any other team, whatever. But I think if one of those teams were performing the way we expected them to coming into the season, then we might be having an entirely different discussion right now, and it's it's fairly likely that one of them would pull the trigger and, and make this fun, crazy deal and, and see how it goes and see if it wins them a World Series ring. But just with where they are, with those three specific, you know, aggressive, motivated teams underperforming so so heavily this season, they're not in a position to make that move. And there's no team that really steps into their void there to to there's no team that that acts the way they do and has the motivation that they that they would to make this deal happen. So that just I, I guess you could make some sort of an argument for the Yankees, but they're not performing that great this season either. You know, it's, it's a similar yeah. argument. And one of the worst things you could do is if you're one of these big teams, you make the big Otani trade, you give up a lot of young talent, you bring him in, especially if you're a Dodgers or a Yankees or whoever that you figure will have some interest in him in the off season. You make this big trade for him. You miss the playoffs. And now, you know, you've, you've kind of jaded Otani a little bit, you know, he's a bit bummed that, he thought this was his chance to get to a contender. You kind of pulled him away from LA, you know, a little bit against his will. It's not like you're just signing a guy to, to come join you. And he, it's totally up to him whether he goes there or not. Like it's, it's a trade. It's he has to go and you make this move and he still misses the playoffs anyway, just like he would have done in LA. Like that's you're, you're risking potentially harming your relationship with Otani. Whereas, some would argue that a benefit of a trade is if you want to sign him to this big free agent deal, well, you got like an inside track on it. You know, you'll start to get him to know your coaches and your system and your organization and everything. So that's the worst thing that could happen. And unfortunately, the Padres, Mets, Dodgers, Yankees are in a spot where like that's not out of the picture, given where they are in the playoff picture. Can we talk about Colin Coward just for a moment? I'm sorry, but not something I typically enjoy doing, <laughs> but in this case, I'll allow it. So, you know, since we're talking about Otani and the wackiness of media trade proposals, 
I don't know if you want to tee this one up, but oh my God, I don't think I've ever seen anything crazier. And if you haven't seen the video of Colin Coward talking about Notani trade, I highly recommend it. I could not bring myself to watch it. <laughs> I will admit I saw the tweets about it went, oh my God, this is insane <laughs> and continued scrolling because I did not, not have that kind of willpower. So I'll let okay, you, all right. I'll okay, let you describe right. it from so, a firsthand so, experience. So Colin at Cowherd is talking to his buddy and he's saying, okay, well, would you trade like, you know, five draft picks and your top three prospects for Tony? I would. And his, and his partner saying, yeah, I would too. Essentially I'm paraphrasing here. And then halfway through the video, he gets a note from his producer saying, uh, you can't trade draft picks in baseball. So they're slightly embarrassed for a moment, but, you know, they pick it up and then they're like, okay, top three prospects for a time. Like as if nothing happened, as if their offer was still legit. Um, so there's so much to unpack there. A, they don't know what the hell they're talking about because you can't take trade draft picks in baseball. B, they're just winging it, obviously, for, for clickbait. And as if they and and just making up like, okay, he's a superstar, so you're gonna give up, you know, <clears throat> your your top three prospects or whatever sort of they think is valuable. Now, to his credit, Colin Cowherd admitted that he's quote a baseball casual. Um, so why on earth are you even venturing into this if you know nothing about baseball? It makes for a very funny video if you just want to have a laugh. I saw a comparison, I don't remember who this was from, but it's saying that it's like saying you know, I'll trade. What would you trade your top eight prospects for Kevin Durant? <laughs> and and not like that's not how basketball trades work either. You know, it, it's just a different sport. And I I don't even know basketball, and I know that <laughs> that obviously draft picks are a much larger and more valuable commodity there, and and prospects aren't as much of a thing there because you know you get drafted. And if you're good enough, you're going straight to the NBA, and you're no no longer a prospect. You're a rookie, and and so on and so forth. But yeah, it's it's the Otani craze. It has swept yeah. the nation. We're going to see so many bad takes this offseason when, when the entire contract discussion is taking place. I mean, we've already seen more than our fair share of bad takes. So just just buckle up. It's not going to end anytime soon. Um, but yeah, yeah it, and just use common sense. Just, you know, I mean, if you enjoy the wackiness of it, fine, more power to you, is, but but don't take any of it seriously because nothing, none of it matters. It's all noise until something actually does happen. And I do want to say that, like, it's okay. Like, there's there's a natural, is this an oxymoron? There's a natural cognitive dissonance <laughs> where it's okay you know, let's say Otani does get traded, and it is for a package kind of like what you're suggesting from the Rangers of, you know, a Kumar Rocker and a Jack Leiter and a couple other guys. And, you know, there's no Evan Carter in it. There's no big headliner. It's it's not some big overpay. It's right in line. It's, you know, 40 to 50 million in trade value or even, even lower than that. You know, it's like 35 to 45 million in trade value accepted by the model, whatever. I think there's there's nuance to all of this this is an unprecedented situation you can have the opinion that yes going by the book going by the math that's a fair trade and you can also say i don't think the angels should have traded otani or i don't think they got enough to justify trading otani or i don't like this trade for the angels like those can all coexist and i think that's true for every trade more so than than ever for an Otani trade because of how unique and how high profile he is. But 
just because something is accepted by the model and because the math says it works out doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing either for the teams or for baseball as a whole or for the fan base or whatever so we've we've said we've we've said things along those lines a lot in the past where, where you know you can you can suggest a trout and otani and rendon trade for steven strasburg and it might uh, strasburg wouldn't go through but you know pick your bad contract and the, the model might quote unquote allow it based on how the the values line up there but that doesn't mean it's a good trade you know you got to use your own common sense with it you can evaluate real life trades the same way you know just because the numbers say it's good the, the numbers aren't saying it's good the numbers are saying it's fair it's equal value it's up to us as fans as analysts to determine whether we think it's a good thing a good deal for both teams involved or a good deal for baseball as a whole do you have anything else to add on no. all of this otani i think this has ran a little longer than we expected yeah, no, to, this, no. this discussion I, I think we've beaten this horse to, to i'm sorry uh ends that expression but um yeah i think we're done <laughs> i mean i think it's i think it's valid this might be our last opportunity to talk before an otani deal i, I would expect it to be down to the wire you know august 1st that's the deadline this year i would expect it to be an august 1st deal maybe july 31st but um might as well get our last our last notes in just in yeah. case um moving on <laughs> a few other quick rumors i want to run through um i'll just group these together uh there's reports that the d-backs have interest in lucas giolito there's reports that the dodgers do the Red Sox, or not, excuse me, not the Red Sox, the Reds have interest in Giolito and um, Lance Lynn, uh, possibly Kyle Clevenger, possibly Dylan Seas. It's just listed as White Sox starters. The Astros and Rays are both showing interest in Michael Lorenzen. You'd figure both of them would be potential fits for um, Giolito and the other White Sox starters as well. Generally speaking, no surprises there, right? It's all the teams that are contending and need starting pitching, look at that. They're interested in the few good starting pitchers who are available. I guess I'll mention that it seems like Lorenzen is picking up a little bit more steam than I'd given him credit for. He's having a decent season and he got hot at the right time. I still don't think he's he's not leading the market or anything and he's not bringing back a huge return, but he's at least a name worth discussing that I don't think we had really mentioned to this point on the podcast. Yeah, surprise. People who are available, players who are available, who are sort of kind of good are, you know, <laughs> teams are interested in them. And based on what we're seeing, it's not going to cost all that much. There's not like a, a huge overpay, even for Giolito that we expect. His numbers have kind of gone down a little bit more. Lorenzen is fairly modest. Most of these guys won't take a whole lot of trade capital to get. So I think it's going to come down to their respective teams seeing the offer they like the most. There could get be a, a little bit of overpay, but I don't see anything crazy happening here. And the fact that there are several teams who need pitching interested in sort of good pitchers, go figure. Yeah, I, I think the Giolito one is interesting. I, I think even I maybe give him more credit than he quote unquote deserves. You know, I think I think the name value is carrying a lot there. He's obviously one of the only guys on the market with like frontline potential, if you still think he has it. And would I be surprised even a little bit if he went to the Dodgers or the Astros or wherever and was just lights out down the stretch? No, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me even a little bit. But he hasn't been very good the last two years. You know, he's been just kind of there. 
Last year was pretty rough for him. He had a 4.90 ERA. Peripherals a little bit better, but he was like a two-win pitcher according to Fangraphs. And this year he's kind of tracking the same way. His ERA is down a little. His peripherals are up a little. His WAR is right right along the same territory. And you know this isn't the like potential ace that we saw him as from 2019 to 2021 like he's taken a pretty clear step back here his velo's a little bit down from that peak as well his strikeouts are down his home run rate is up there's valid reasons to be concerned here i think teams and fans can get excited about him because there's not a ton else on the market but this isn't a plug and play ace this isn't a max scherzer from a couple years ago this is a mid-rotation guy if you're lucky, you can unlock that that previous frontline type guy that's in there somewhere. But this isn't like a rental ace. This is a rental mid-rotation guy. And adjust your expectations for the trade accordingly. Yeah. I mean, a couple of years ago, you could kind of sort of maybe have called him an ace. I remember him starting game one of a playoff series uh, for the White Sox against the A's, and he looked really good. Um, but he hasn't been that same pitcher. And to your point, and the numbers kind of reflect that. And so... You know, the, the other thing that's going that he has going for him is it's a very simple trade. There's no excess baggage. He's a free agent after this. Unlike, say, a Marcus Stroman who has an opt-out, he could potentially opt in to his $20 million contract. Or Eduardo Rodriguez, who we've talked about in the past, who has some baggage as well, both physical and otherwise. And he could opt out or he could not opt out, and you're, you might be left hanging you know, with, a, with some baggage, uh, with an overhanging contract. So... You know, those are, you know, some teams may view that as fine, accepted risk, but there is a slight more risk with those kinds of guys who have sort of, you know, contract issues. There's no contract issues here with Giolito. It's a very simple deal. So I think, you know, the teams you mentioned, I think the Rays would be interested in as well. You know, so I think it's, you know, he's the most likely to have sort of an easy sort of path, if you will. Yeah, that that's definitely a benefit there. You're right. Um, one quick one I wanted to hit on, and then we can get into a couple other topics before we wrap this up. Um, the Giants reportedly have interest in Justin Verlander. This is also from Morosi, so it, it could, you know, I'm not saying that he's unreliable or anything, but this isn't a fully fleshed out, like, Rosenthal report that they've been in deep yeah. talks or anything like that. It's just, hey, Giants are one of the clubs interested if Verlander waives his no-trade clause. And we've seen... Verlander say he's committed to the Mets and whatever, but, you know, who knows what that actually means. It is interesting, though. And I we talked about the Mets, and when I wrote about the Mets, it seemed like Scherzer's a much easier move because he's owed less money. He projects a little bit better. He's younger. He's closer to free agency. But a team like the Giants getting in on Verlander, we saw how they swung and missed at a bunch of the big free agents last offseason and in prior offseasons before that you know the the Bryce Harper or the Stanton trade that they couldn't make happen uh last offseason it was Correa and Judge and you know they have some money to spend on a star talent and you know I wonder if they see an opportunity here I wonder if they sense that the Mets might be trying to downsize a little bit trying to reallocate you know the Cohen funds can't actually be unlimited, right? There's a, there's a limit at some point. There's a budget somewhere. 
and maybe they want to reallocate that away from the $80 million they have between <laughs> Verlander and Scherzer. And, you know, if other teams are all looking at Scherzer as a guy who's easier for them to acquire, well, maybe a team without as many financial commitments like the Giants can take on Verlander and not give up much in terms of prospects and just say, hey, we're going to take this guy. Maybe Cohen pays him down a little bit um, to get him to get him closer to like a market rate. But we're going to we're going to take on this guy and he's going to be kind of our renta ace for the next couple years and he'll lead our rotation for us which has had some it's, it's been a constantly a constant a rotation constantly in flux there's been a lot of movement in and out over the past handful of years of let's bring in this back end looking starter and this guy got hurt or this guy left and so we're constantly rotating pieces around well maybe they add verlander in to kind of help lead that even if he's not the guy he used to be so it's it's interesting I don't think anything comes of it. I think for all the reasons that we've said previously, a Verlander trade is just really tough with all of the money involved. And it's tough to see Cohen and the Mets cutting bait on him so quick after he was the big offseason addition. But it's really interesting. I don't know. I, I hadn't thought too much about the Giants as a fit for Verlander, but it, it could make sense. Yeah, it does kind of fit their MO of, you know, taking kind of old war horses, you know, and... To your point, most of the time it's the Elks Cobbs and the Elks Woods and the Discoplanis of the world that are sort of mid guys that have been around the block a bit but are still decent enough, and you patch that together and you got something. Verlander is slightly different case in that he's forty years old. He's obviously a you know future Hall of Famer and everything else, but um, he's not the same as he was anymore. So I think what's happening here is the Giants do have some budget to work with, and so that that's their you know. It, this is a way to acquire a potential playoff seasoned pitcher by just taking on whatever the salary negotiation is off of the Mets hands. Um, it's I, so, so I, I suspect that the Mets would probably cover that. You notice they've been covering some, some gaps and they've turned out fair in our model, the gap with Escobar, for example. Um, so I think they're aware the gap with the uh, got and, and flexing. So, I think they're aware of what fair value is, and I think they have no problem covering the gap, if you will. And, you know, Verlander's 40. He's not getting any younger. It's clear he's not quite the same as he was. Time is undefeated, so he's not going to probably get any better. So they're like, okay, maybe we can cut our losses, cover the gap, and move on and spend that money elsewhere next year. I think it may be an interesting sort of play, though, um, with the Cohen narrative of, like, spend wildly maybe turning into oh that didn't work so maybe we should spend a little bit more smartly now instead of just buying all these old guys because clearly that's that's what's going on here and maybe there was some naivete in that and now they're kind of growing up a little bit um and maybe that also goes to hey they didn't have you know um a guy you know epler's status as gm you know they, they've said all along that they they wanted like a president of baseball operations and that hasn't been filled yet and so maybe that person is going to be the one that says no we can't do that anymore guys and it's kind of the voice of reason you know but that doesn't reflect well on the epler cohen relationship because it implies that epler was just more of a yes man doing cohen's thing i'm not necessarily buying that either um and it is sort of awkward from epler's point of view like am i the guy or am i not the guy and you want me to make these moves or not make these moves you want me to listen to, to my ideas or not listen to me i think there's a lot of that going on in the background and so it's kind of a mess there in Metland, I think. And so I think what may be happening here is they might say, well, 
should we cut our losses and try again next year or not? And so I think the Giants side of it is simpler. I think the Mets side is complicated. You're telling me the Mets ownership and front office have created a mess? I have never heard of this before. <laughs> yeah, fancy that. <sighs> yeah, I, like I said, don't think this is something I'm putting any money down on or anything. If I if I were a betting man, but it's it's interesting. Keep an eye on it. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I know I I live in the New York City area, metropolitan area, and I have a lot of friends who are Mets fans, and they fully see that you know they overspent on a bunch of old guys and it's not working. So they're the first ones to say, yeah, sure, cut Verlander, let's start over. Let's get a little smarter. Now, to their credit, the Mets have been pretty steadfast about not trading prospects. They want to hold on to them. They want to build a more sustainable model like the Dodgers have. That's kind of their their goal. Um, so, you know, they've done a couple of deals. Like, you know, the I think they regret the Pete Crow Armstrong deal um, where they got rid of him. He's now the top prospect in the Cubs system. You know, and they got, you know, a couple months of Javier Baez. Didn't work out well for them. Um, so I think they don't want to necessarily make that kind of trade a prospect for a, a veteran move. I think they, they're going the opposite now. I think they've learned their lesson. Yeah, at, at least you would hope. Um, yeah. All right, with the last few minutes here, uh, I want to go over a couple of items that came up on a Q&A thread we ran yesterday. I'll go ahead and link this in the show notes. It was a good time, really successful. We had a lot of cool questions. Hopefully we were able to answer them as, as well as we could. Um, there were questions in there about Otani, some about the Reds, some about you know, the, the Blue Jays, uh, the whole whole wide spectrum, some, some more model-specific questions. Um, a couple that came up more than once or had multiple people asking, though. Um, let's start with the Cardinals. Broadly speaking, you know, I don't want to get into any of the specific questions because a lot of them were just like, oh, what will the Cardinals do? Or do the Cardinals line up with a deal here? Or so on and so forth. Um, so I just kind of want to ask broadly, what do you think the Cardinals are doing? Obviously, they have a couple of clear rentals that they would consider moving in Hicks, Flaherty, and Montgomery, who's back healthy now. He didn't pitch very well in his last outing, but he's healthy at least. But what do you see them doing beyond that, if anything? They're they're still out of the playoff race, but they're on like a weird little hot streak right now. Yeah, I don't see them changing what they've already said they were going to do. They've kind of put it out there publicly that they're sellers. So I think it would be hard for them to go back on that word. And if you look at their fan graphs odds, you know, they're at 5% to make the playoffs. So I don't think that story is changing. So they are sellers. So let's get that out of the way first. And then you just mentioned the obvious trade candidates, Montgomery, Flaherty, Hicks, because they're all rentals. Um, the other obvious place to look at is the outfield where they have a bit of a, a logjam surplus. So Dylan Carlson's name comes up a lot. Taylor O'Neill's name comes up a lot. I uh, wouldn't be surprised, you know, um, to see that. And there are teams who are saying on the other side of things, hey, we need a right-handed bat or whatever. Um, Carlson's been a very interesting case because he's a former top prospect and he, he's been a little bit underwhelming. Um, you know, he's, he's, not the greatest hitter. His offensive number is a little bit disappointing. He plays a decent defense. He's still got some some tools, but you get the sense that 
he's you know maybe not an impact player like people thought they would that he was going to be when he was a prospect so i'm not sure how much interest it would be and considering he's got years of control there's sort of he's just in this weird awkward middle child phase where like is he good is he not good should we pay for his years of control like i'm not sure that's the most interesting thing to me uh tyler o'neill kind of yeah i think they would trade him but they're not gonna get all that much from him because he's got injury issues and other issues and so but one of those guys you can see moving um just to kind of kind of clear the log jam um i could also see them moving one of those utility guys like Edmund or Donovan. I think Donovan would be more attractive, but I think the price is high on him. So maybe Edmund, even though he's like a, uh, a stalwart Cardinal kind of a player. Um, and I thought it was interesting that John Moseliak, the president of baseball operations, also said that we need to change our pitching style, the whole pitching, pitching to contact thing that you mentioned. You know, times have changed a little bit, and so they may be going more for, in any deals they entertain, more for like – guys who can throw heat and maybe get a little bit more strikeouts um, instead of, you know, the usual Miles Michaelis types. So um, I think that's going to be, I think it's all kind of obvious kind of where they're going. I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, the names changed a little bit, but I think that's the general direction and I kind of buy it. Yeah. And we did get a report that they were interested in Logan Gilbert. I don't think he's yeah. available by any means no um but that it at least does go along with what they were suggesting that they're looking at more of those power pitchers the guys that can get strikeouts and more reliably get outs that way and that doesn't square with with you know they'd have to give a bunch of prospects for him for logan gilbert or some sort of major league talent combination that would satisfy the mariners need but i don't see them he's such a stalwart in the mariners rotation I, I could just see them going, what? <laughs> no, I don't think that makes Exactly. Sense. <laughs> like, I think Donovan is a good fit for the Mariners, but that doesn't get you to Gilbert. And no. I don't think there's, I don't think there's another piece that lines it up well enough to make that work. Yeah. yeah. Do you think they listen on Goldschmidt and or Arenado? Well, you know, Goldschmidt doesn't have a whole lot of surplus value. It's not going to, you know, based on our latest update. And Arenado's underwater based on our latest update because he's in his decline phase. And so not getting any younger and still owed a whole bunch of money. So why not just keep those guys, you know, because you're not going to get all that much for them. It's a pretty simple answer, I think. Yeah. And, it, you know, they have a couple guys who are natural corner infielders in Gorman and Walker. And you want to find a spot for them because, you know, Jordan Walker has been kind of a disaster in the outfield. <laughs> Yeah. Um, he's he's hitting very well. He's got a 119 WRC plus, but he's been a below replacement level player because of how terrible his outfield defense has been. So yeah. you want to find a spot for him somewhere. And I think Gorman has actually been kind of okay on the infield, if I'm not mistaken. Like he hasn't been a total disaster playing a lot of second base. Um, but I think as those guys age, uh, 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 Arenado and Goldschmidt, that is, as those guys age, you'll naturally be able to get them rest days and rotate guys around positions. And I think clearing out some of the log jam that you mentioned, whether it's O'Neill versus Carlson or Edmund or Donovan or whatever, if you're clearing out another one of those hitters, if not two of them, that naturally makes things easier. Even if none of them are necessarily playing the position you want Gorman or Walker to shift to, well, I'm sure those guys are taking some DH at bats. You know, right now, roster resource has Brendan Donovan as the DH. He doesn't need to be, but it's <laughs> no. that he's, you know, more of a natural infielder. And so if you're trading him, and I mean, he, he's he's a utility guy playing all over the diamond. And so that's just kind of where roster resource has him penciled in. But, 
you know, if you're talking about moving moving pieces in the lineup, then you can have more flexibility to give Goldschmidt a day at DH and Walker at first base or Arenado a DH day and Walker at third base. Cause I think, I think what they want to avoid is they don't want 21 year old Jordan Walker to be shoehorned in as their like full-time DH. Even if that's what would fit their roster best right now, they know that's not what's best for him developmentally. And so there's two solutions there. There's either, yeah, you need to open up one of first base or third base for him, which means moving Goldschmidt or Arenado or you shuffle pieces around for the next two years until Goldschmidt is a free agent. And maybe at that point, Arenado needs to move across the diamond to first base, loses a step or two. So I, I think they probably lean toward that latter option. I think it would be kind of short-sighted of them to be trading one of those guys because they are still the core of the team and they still expect to be competitive next year. Right. Um, but I do know some fan bases, the Minnesota Twins being one that I've noticed in particular, are salivating at the potential of them moving one or both of those guys because they, they would be a really good fit for the Twins. Yeah, I mean, but I think your last point you just touched on was, you know, the Cardinals don't see themselves as kind of a, a rebuild kind of. They're not going fire sale overall. And I think it's been a little bit of media speculation and, and they've denied that they would trade their core players they just you know they have such a solid fan base and such a solid track record of competing year in year out i don't think that's what they're saying i don't think they're rebuilding i think they're just selling off a couple of rental guys getting what they can for them and looking at next year as another opportunity they do have some more talent coming up in the pipeline um they'll get what they can get for the guys that they're selling and that's that i will mention there's a couple of bullpen guys like um chris stratton's probably moving i think he's a rental uh giovanni gallegos has been one of the better relievers in baseball the last few years i'm sure there's interest in him um you know and you can always piece together a, a reliever a, a bullpen next year so um so yeah they'll move some guys and uh and start over again next year but they won't move the big guys i don't think yeah i think that's the safe bet i think if you're looking for a team to make a more interesting deal, I think the Cardinals are the ones that you should keep your eye on. You know, you you alluded to it near the beginning of this episode when we talked about how the deadline might be quiet. You know, we've talked about all the obvious trade candidates to death, and it gets to the point where, like, when Lucas Giolito gets traded, it's not going to be all that exciting as, as a neutral observer. If he gets traded to your team, cool, you're stoked, but it's not... It's more of a fun, like, okay, cool, who are they getting for him? And it's not like a, whoa, that's such a unique and interesting trade. But every deadline, we see a handful that catch us completely off guard. You know, I'm thinking of the Harrison Bader-Jordan Montgomery trade last year. That came out of nowhere, but it made a good amount of sense and was really interesting to watch unfold and to talk about afterwards. And so if you're looking for a trade like that, I think the Cardinals are a good team to watch just because they have so many different directions they could go. And all four of those guys that we've talked about, um, Carlson, O'Neill, Edmund, and Donovan, to varying degrees, they have a decent chunk of trade value. I know O'Neill and Carlson have been falling, and, and maybe Edmund and Donovan are a little bit less likely than those two to get traded, but they'd be a pretty substantial trade. It's not just we're, we're trading this guy for you know a, a relief prospect or anything. Like They'd be a pretty significant deal, so I think that's... A team to watch if you're looking for one of those interesting trades. Fair enough. Okay. Um, super quick last one, just because I wanted to talk about this team one more time. The Mariners, um, I think they could 
lineup okay with with the Cardinals. I don't know if there's a perfect fit there. Like we said, I don't think Kirby or I don't think uh, Gilbert is happening. I think it's pretty unlikely that Kirby happens as well. But when you look at those other arms, Miller, Wu, Hancock, and some of their minor league arms, you wonder if there's a fit there with the Cardinals for a bat. Do you think we see a deal like that where maybe it's not the Cardinals specifically, but do you think the Mariners do choose to move some of their pitching depth? And outside of that, what do you think? What do you think they can do to actually add offense? <sighs> I I really think the the Mariners should just punt on this season. I don't think it's going as well as they thought it would. I think they should trade Teoscar. Uh, they've given up on Colton Long because he's been terrible. Um, I mean, you know, it's Jerry Depoto, so you can't get him out. But I think the young pitching is the cornerstone of that team, along with Julio. You know, along with a couple of the prospects they have coming up, I, I really think they've got a good young foundation there. So I wouldn't mess with the pitching at all. I really wouldn't. Um, I, we did talk about Paul Seawald as a trade candidate. I think that's smart because you can always find a reliever and they have a knack for turning, you know, uh, water into wine there with relievers. So um, so I, I would sell sort of on the edges like that. Um, but I, I don't see why they would add another offensive bat. It feels like throwing good money after bad. To me, it's interesting because they they need they need a bat, right? And it needs to not just be, you know, a, here's a league average Colton. Obviously, Colton Wong hasn't been league average, but not a guy like him where it's just like, we're going to plug in a league average bat at this spot. Like, they need another impact hitter, especially if they're losing Teoscar, either at the deadline or in the offseason. Um, and we've talked about how weak the upcoming free agent class is, especially for hitters. And so... They might be involved in the Otani sweepstakes. We can't really get too far ahead of ourselves with that. But I think there is an argument of, yeah, they shouldn't push any chips in for 2023 specifically. They should probably, like you said, trade to Oscar, see if anybody will take Colton Wong, listen on Seawall and a couple of relievers, that kind of thing. But I think there's also an argument for, okay, we need, we need an impact bat and it needs to be a guy who's going to be on the team next year. Why not try and make that trade happen now, as opposed to this off season. So that way we can like, at least take a chance that maybe we get hot down the stretch and sneak into a wildcard spot with this, with this hitter. That's kind of the argument I could see. Um, but I, I do agree with you that like they, they have a solid five on the pitching side. It's not without its questions though. And I think you could, end up getting a little too excited and trade trade away one guy too many and then suddenly you don't have the pitching depth that you need to get through the season yeah i just think that's that's risky i i wouldn't do it if i were them i really wouldn't i would just you know they've got enough of a core there um you know they signed castillo longer term so it's not like the end of the world if you don't make it this season just go for next season you still have a sense of you know, a team on the rise. You're still going to get the fan base. We've got some star power in Julio and a couple of young guys. So I don't, you know, I, think, I don't think it's that big a deal that, that they miss on this year. Well, we will see. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have anything else. Do you have any anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up? No, just I'll bookend it and remind people that our values are being updated as we speak. So you'll see some slightly different numbers. A lot of the guys you thought were a little bit higher and now a little bit lower just because of the passage of time. So keep an eye on that. Do you have any last minute predictions you want to drop in for deals that might happen in this upcoming week? 
Mm, no, but I do think we're going to see some activity. Finally, I think the, you know, it may not be craziness. It may just be a lot of sort of, hey, this works and this works and this works and this works and the values I hope will be fair. Um, you know, usually they are unless something goes wacky, but I don't see any wackiness. It feels like a very rational market to me so far. And not just because it's been quiet, but just because there's not like outside of Otani, if you put him beside, there's just, you know, okay, nobody's going to overpay for Giolito, nobody's going to overpay for Candelario. I mean, I think it's just going to be sort of normal stuff, you know? Yeah, I think we see, like you said, I think we see some activity this week. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if like one of the starting pitchers gets moved toward the end of this week. Somebody jumps the market there a little bit and we kind of start to see things snowball from there through the weekend and then Monday and Tuesday leading up to the deadline. So I'm very much excited for what's in store and we'll actually be back next weekend. Uh, we're going to go back to back weekends with the podcast here to make sure we're not missing any of this deadline news. So we'll be back in a week to talk. And uh, I think further. we'll be, we'll be continue to be active on Twitter too. Right. So if you follow us there, you know, have fun with that too and join us. Yeah. So good deal. Yeah. That will do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back next weekend to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy trade season. We're here. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.